invite you to take a Bible and turn uh, almost to the end of the Bible, end of the New Testament, to the book of James, uh, page 1011 in these Bibles in the pews as we uh, continue uh, to work our way through the book of James. I, I remind you, uh, in, or if you've not been here, the, uh, I believe the weight of evidence is that the, uh, the particular James who wrote this was the uh, half-brother of Jesus who was not a believer during Jesus' ministry, but we think he was converted after the resurrection. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this not to a particular group of people that were in a particular city, uh, like Philippi or Rome or so forth, but to believers who had been dispersed after the persecution began uh, in the city of Jerusalem. And so we've looked at the opening verses that deal with trials and, and trusting God in the midst of trials, knowing that God is using those to produce uh, steadfastness and perseverance in our lives, that, that God is not the one who tempts us. Uh, we're tempted when we're carried away by our own hearts that guide us into that, uh, and that all good things come from God. Now we come to verse 19 through the end of the chapter. I'll read now. Hear God's word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Not too long ago, I was, I was with a, a local pastor who's uh, ministered in, in Macon for a long, long time and <clears throat> we were having a discussion, uh, really it was a disagreement, but it was a very good discussion over something he had written in, a, in the local newspaper and, uh, over an issue, and I, I won't mention it because I don't want to distract you uh, before we get into this, but yeah, I, I, I had a different opinion, a strong different opinion, and I was questioning where he arrived, how in the world he arrived at where he arrived. And he said, where, where do you get your what forms your opinion? I said, well, the Bible. And without sarcasm and without insult, he went, oh, the Bible. And he, and he said, yeah, I said, that's what I teach, the Bible. And he said, but people in the church don't know how to read the Bible. Well, I, I, I knew where he was coming from. I, I know him that well. He was coming from a position that is called neo-orthodoxy which is, I mean, that's what he had been trained in, given the seminary he attended. And that is that the Bible is not the Word of God, but the Bible may contain the Word of God. And neo-orthodoxy would teach, and that's a real broad heading, and it's, it's in most major denominations and elsewhere. 
that God may speak to you through the Bible, and that's the voice of God. That's the word of God. So you may be reading a story like last week when Marlon Harris led us from John 21 about Peter and the disciples and breakfast with Jesus after the resurrection. You may hear that story, and in the midst of hearing, you may think, well, God's speaking to me through this. It may have nothing to do with the actual intent of John, the author. It was John, wasn't it? John 21. Uh, It may have nothing to do with what John intended, but it becomes the word of God to you, and so you would say, I heard the word of God today. See, that's totally, we're saying that, no, God has revealed himself through the scriptures, that it's a full inspiration, that he took some 40 human authors over a period of roughly 1,500 years, and his Holy Spirit moved them these people who did not even know each other, by and large, most of them did not live in the same places or at the same time, and there's one storyline throughout the whole thing, and God's Spirit moved them to write down the very words that God wanted written. It was not a robotic dictation. Their human personalities come forth, and yet we look at that and say, regardless of the literature, whether it's, whether it's a narrative, whether it's poetry, whether it's proverb, whether it's prophecy, whether it's a teaching passage, that that is inspired by God, and all Scripture is profitable then for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we believe in a historical, grammatical approach to the Bible. That is totally different from someone that would just say, well, listen, as I read from James and listen for the word of God, he may speak to you through that. I want you to know how to read the Bible. And it is not on that latter view I just said. It it is what did James mean? And how does that apply to believers today? And what does God want me to do? And what is his Holy Spirit enabling me to do? So that's why when we preach from here, there is time devoted, hopefully not too much, to explanation. This was the context. This is what was meant. Now, you can spend all your time there and not get to application, and that's not what we're trying to do. But hopefully there is an understanding of what did James mean. So he starts out, and I'm going to tell you here with the, with the moments we have, we're going to look at where to hear God's word, where to receive God's word, and where to obey God's word. He begins, know this. It almost sounds like a command. It's, it's really also a reflection of what's already the case. What You do know this. You should know it, and you do know, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, as a new Christian back in high school, that was one of the first verses I learned. I memorized it. I don't remember what prompted me to do so, except that Uh, I had a a sharp tongue, still do, it can be very sarcastic, and I had to try to tame that, and and I had a hot temper. And so I'd learned that verse, and and it's a good verse for that, Uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But the context is much bigger than that one verse. This is not really a passage dealing with the subject uh, uh, strictly the subject of anger. He's dealing with how are we to hear God's word. And when we come before God, if we are not quick to hear, in other words, if we don't close our mouths and listen in a teachable posture, then we're not in a, 
we're not in a frame of mind to, to hear what God is saying. If you walked into this service today angry, and it could be over a thousand things, and maybe at yourself, or maybe at someone else, or maybe something that happened long ago, or maybe something that, whatever it could be, you are not in a very teachable position. Uh, an angry person, usually, that, that's not the time to try to instruct that person because their ears are pretty well closed at that point. And so we're to be quick to hear and, and slow to speak. And, and he's talking here about relating to others and relating to God. You could say, well, wait a minute. Which is this dealing with? Well, it's dealing with both, because often God works in our lives simultaneously with our relationship with him and with others. Your relationship with God definitely affects your relationship with other people. Your relationships with other people affects your relationship with God. So here, we're not, not to be angry. Careless words often accompany an angry mood. Um, several years ago, I, I remember a particular episode, and I, 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 was, I was really angry one afternoon, and I was at home, and... Uh, I was working in the yard, and I was angry over something that had happened more than a decade ago. I can remember, I can remember things from long ago. can't remember my kids' names. I can't remember what happened yesterday. I cannot tell you what I preached on the last time. But I remember stuff from my childhood, and people say, that's great, you've got a good memory. No, it isn't, because I remember things that happened, and it's like they just happened. And so I was angry about something that happened long ago. I was furious about what happened long ago, and I expressed it to my wife. Mistake number two. <laughs> she approached me about something, and I went off, not at her, not, but she heard, and she saw the state of mind. I was, and she's here, so I've got to tame my words. She may be small, but she packs a punch. And so <laughs> I, uh, I uh, expressed this to her, and first she talked, and then she just looked at me, and then when I finished, she turned and walked inside the house without saying anything. Well, about an hour and a half later, I went inside, and I sat down, and I had some lemonade or something, and I'm sitting there, and I'd calmed down. And Barbara came in, and she pulled up a chair in front of where I was sitting, and she told me, the reality of how much sin I had in my life and that this bitterness was nothing but rebellion against God and I needed to repent. And as Martin Luther said about preaching, at that point, her voice became the voice of God. Now, don't take that further than it ought to go. But, I mean, at that moment, she was pointing out very much, Chip, there's sin in your life, and this is sin and nothing but, it, but sin, and you need to repent. Uh, it, it, uh, 90 minutes earlier, I would not have received those words. But at that time, the anger was passed, and, and it was a teachable moment. So as we approach God's word, there's so much here, and I, I'm just doing a, a 20,000-foot flyover. Uh, I'm just going quickly. Uh, we, we are to come uh, not talking but listening. We're to hear God's word when we approach it. We're to be in a teachable uh, frame of mind and a teachable heart. And verse 21 then says, how are we to receive it? He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, literally there, that word for filthiness is, is such filth that even your ears are plugged up. 
And so when James says, put away all filthiness, some of the translators or some of the commentators said it's literally like unplugging your ears. Put this all aside uh, so that you can hear God's word. At our entrances, we, sometimes there are these baskets that have these hearing devices that can help. Some of you may use those in, in here so that you may be able to hear. Maybe we need a basket where we're to put the things that Put your earplugs here, things that will stop you as you, as you approach to be teachable and, and to receive God's word and to set these things aside. And, and it, to receive the word that's implanted at salvation. It, God is his seed that's planted. His word is planted and it begins to grow. We are born again by his word, says Peter, as newborn babes then long for that pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Uh, when I was uh, in seminary, which if you don't know what, that's a school for preachers. <laughs> As one kid, we, I was with a friend working one time and we were students and he came walking by. We were painting the front of a shopping center and he said, uh, what do y'all do? He said, well, we're in seminary. We said, you know what that is? He said, yeah, it's a school for preachers. Uh, so yeah, back in seminary, there was, there was a, a mindset by some that, well, the all that a church needs is, is effective preaching. And if preaching is right in the church, and if it's spirit-empowered preaching, then you don't need to be doing this small group stuff and discipleship and counseling. Preaching will basically do all those things. People are discipled through preaching. People are trained through, people are evangelized through preaching. People are counseled. They repent and they deal with their problems through preaching. And I was, I was with a pastor here in Macon, a different guy, uh, one day, and, and he made the comment. He said, if y'all had effective preaching down there at, in that church, you wouldn't need that counseling center you had next door. At that time, we had a counseling center next door. And I knew where he was coming from because I'd been exposed to that train of thought. And he was so adamant, and I said, that's ridiculous. I said, we find that when the preaching is effective, the counseling center starts filling up. Because people get convicted of their sins and they say, hey, I, I need to repent, but my life's a mess. I need somebody to help me. So they go over there and say, hey, help me to restore my marriage or to restore my relationship with my kids or whatever it is. And he expressed appreciation. I just said, that's a, that's a, a fallacy to think that everything can be dealt with from, by the preaching in, in a church. That, that's one a part of it where we lift up God's word. I remember my father, he came to faith in his late 60s. And he had been to church at Christmas and Easter much of his life. But I remember talking to him the Easter after he was converted. And he said, Chip, guess what? I went to church uh, this past Sunday. It was my first Easter as a Christian. Can you imagine hearing about a 68-year-old tell you that? The word is implanted, and it's implanted, and it brings new life. Let's go to the third part, which is we're to obey. Then verse 30, uh, 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving themselves. You can be a doer of the word and not a hearer. You can be a hearer of the word and not be a doer. But God wants you to be both. He wants you to hear his word and do his word. And James uses the illustration of a mirror. The scripture elsewhere is referred to as a mirror. It's held up in front of us and it reflects, it shows us what we're really like. 
We may convince ourselves we're something else, but then the mirror of God's word shows us the reality that we need Christ and, and so forth. But here, James changes that a little bit, and he refers to a man uh, that's, that looks in a mirror. And we know that mirrors like we have today didn't come about until about 1,300 years after this. It was the, uh, the uh, not 1,300, I guess it'd be 13, uh, the 13th century, 1,300. So 1,300 or 13, that's right, 2,000, okay, I'm sorry. Hey, you know, I told you I'm from Alabama. Uh, so they had polished bronze or copper or things like that. So here's this man, and apparently he's leaving his house, and he glances down into the mirror to get a reflection of himself, and he looks intently, it tells us there in the passage, but he goes on, and within no time he forgets what he's seen. I mean, I assume everyone here looked in the mirror this morning, but honestly, if I were to say, now tell me exactly what you saw, you're probably like, I don't remember. It was so quick. Believe it, for me, it was very quick. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, you, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. And he says, that's like a person who hears God word, God's word and goes out and it has no impact on them. And he says the problem with that is we deceive ourselves. There is self-deception. I remember hearing a psychologist once say it's one thing to be deceived, but the worst kind of deception is self-deception. When you're telling yourself the wrong thing and you believe it. Well, here, this person is self-deceived. And it's the same James is kind of like lifting this and modifying it from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, at the conclusion of that sermon, said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came, floods came, winds blew, the house did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain, wind, so forth came, the house fell, and great was its fall. If we had driven by before the hurricane, they would have looked the same. We would have said, look at that house. looks just the same as that house. But this is the person who hears and hears only. I mean, this is the one on the rock who hears and does. And this is the person who hears and does not do. And James says it's self-deception. Now, here's the question. What is the person deceived about? And this is where this gets very serious. This is a self-deception of where a person mistakenly thinks, I am right with God, and you're not. I am right with God, and you're not. A preacher friend of mine, I remember hearing him in a sermon say once, there will be people wake up in hell, quoting John 3.16. Being a hearer of the word and not a doer is a religion that James says is worthless. We might say, well, it's better than nothing. No, he says there's no value to it. It is worthless. Why? Because it has eternal consequences. And probably, even though we're not still the Bible Belt, those of us from the South that at least grown up in the last parts of a Christian culture, where Christian teaching and morals were kind of accepted as the way to live, that pretty much is gone now. But we need these words. We need to be forewarned that to be a hearer only and not a doer is to be self-deceived. 
Well, what does he look into? Then he says he compares that. He compares the person who looked briefly into the mirror, goes about, forgets what he saw, and then the person who looks intently. In fact, this person, <clears throat> the word he uses for looking for this second person is the word that was used for Peter and John on that first Easter morning when they came to the empty tomb. They looked in and they studied it. They stared at it. Where is the body? It was not a quick glance. It was not a passing glance. It was, it was an intentional, focused look. That's how he's saying we should come to God's word that way. And he calls it perfect. Why is it perfect? Because God's law reflects God's character. God's law says do not commit murder. That reflects God's character, that God is the giver of life. God's law says do not steal. That reflects God's character, that God is generous. He gives good gifts. God's law says do not bear false witness. That reflects his character, that God's word is true. He keeps his promises. God's law says show mercy to orphans and widows and aliens. God's character is he cares for the helpless and the outcast. So God's law is perfect. That's also, he calls it the law of liberty. Now he's talking here about believers' relationship to the law. If you're not a Christian here, God's law does not set you free. No one is made right with God by the keeping of the law. In fact, the Bible says the law then is like a schoolmaster showing us where we're wrong and pointing to Christ. So his law without Christ just condemns us. It's not the law of freedom. It's not the law of liberty. But for the believer, it's the law of liberty. It's perfect and freedom. What does that mean? Well, typically in the church today, we've gotten to the point where we pit law and grace against each other. And some people say, oh, wait a minute, you're talking about law. I thought it's all grace. God accepts me just as I am regardless of what I do. And they hear the word law and they run. So that can't be what the Bible's teaching. Uh, are, are you saying there's to be obedience to God's law? Is it that we as Christians? No, I'm not saying that. James is saying that. James is saying that. And it gives freedom. We typically think, well, to be free means to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, and no accountability. And that's what true freedom is, and law works against that. That's imposed restrictions. Uh, some months ago, I was kind of got fascinated learning about so many polyglots in the world today. The Internet has changed language learning completely. And so I was following some of these people on YouTube that, uh, uh, I don't know, one or two are from the United States, but... Canada and Europe and Eastern Europe and various people and I'd look and I mean here were people that knew uh, 5, 10, 20, 30, 1 from Ireland that knew 40 languages and they, they would make these humorous videos of walking into crowds like especially in Europe and carry on conversations with each person based on which, which country they, they were from. And that would look so freeing. Whoa, wouldn't you like to do that? Be able to, you know, kind of Jason Bourne in real life. You know, you just talk whatever language is being spoken around you, and, and there you, nobody got that. I, was I going, is, is this thing on? Um, so I, then I began to look at their YouTubes and how they learn languages. Now here's where the freedom came from. Well, I start off each day for two hours studying grammar and vocabulary. Then I listen to SBS radio. That's the radio app where you can pretty much listen to any news in any language. 
Uh, then I watch uh, movies in the language I'm trying to learn. Then I did. It was hours and hours a day of disciplined study. So law restriction is what then brings the freedom later. Does the train say to the track, I want to be free. I don't need any track. I want to go out there into the field. Does the ship say to the ocean, I don't like being restricted to water. I think I'd like to go up into the mountains. You see, God made us then where we're most free when there are restrictions that are for our own good in that regard. I'll bring this to a close. So what are we to do? We're to act with immediacy. Uh, let me go back to the sermon last Sunday. Uh, we heard a sermon, if you were here last Sunday, on, on uh, Peter uh, after the resurrection with, of Christ, Jesus preparing that breakfast for them after they'd fished all night. We heard about Peter's shame and uh, accepting God's forgiveness and Christ's forgiveness and Christ not giving up on us. My question is, have you done anything with that this week? When we read Scripture, when you read from Colossians 3 or Ephesians chapter 5 and, or places that say, like, pray without ceasing, do you just read it and say, hey, that's good stuff? Hey, I, Oh, by the way, that's a past tense right there. Hmm, that's good, okay. Do we walk out the door and immediately forget what we've seen? Or is it like, how, what can I do today to implement that? What can I do today to love others, to give, to be a witness for Christ, to meditate on his law day and night, to help the helpless? You can't be a doer of the word without being a hearer. You can be a hearer without being a doer. We want to be both. And this person is rewarded. I conclude with this at the very end of the passage, and this is where I hope to return two weeks from today. We'll pick back up and then move into chapter 2. He throws out two specifics. He says, hey, uh, here's what true religion is. It's not an unbridled tongue. It's not the type of person that says whatever they want to say, whenever they want to say it, and, and is caustic and, and, and damaging with the, their speech. He says, here's true religion. Uh, it, it's is caring for those who can't care for themselves in that day and time, orphans and, and widows. He says that's what God sees. And it also says, he says, it's keeping oneself unstained by, from the world. Uh, and, and so that's how the word then that gives us new life is worked out after we hear it, we receive it, and then we do it. Only by the power of Christ. Let, let's pray together. Our Father, we are a, a strange generation in church history and world history. We can read. We have free access to the Bible. We have free access to gather and worship and study it. And you say to whom much is given, much is required. So we pray we'd be good stewards of our listening. And we'd ask that you might bear fruit in our lives, not on our effort, not on what deeds we do, but that your spirit would use your word implanted in us with the new hearts you've given and produce fruit that shows itself with action. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We're made right with you only through his work, through his perfect obedience to your law, through his sacrificial death on the cross as a substitute. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.